Isn't it amazing to be here today? You know, one of the amazing things about our church is it's growing so fast that there's people here who I don't know, and I think that's just such a blessing, and there's probably many of you who don't know who I am and wondering why on earth is this guy standing up here. He's not nearly as handsome as Jeff. He's quite a bit older, doesn't have the musculature. Um, And that's all true, Um, but my name is Mike McIndoo, and I've been attending the Covenant Church here since 1997, and... uh, when I retired, I was pressed into service, I actually volunteered, went to a pastor and said, however I can help you spread the load, um, I will do that. And they said, well, great, can you preach next Sunday? And I said, anything but that. <laughs> and here I am. Um, and I'm glad to be able to stand in for Jeff today. Uh, it certainly makes him look good when he comes back and preaches. Um, but I would like to start this morning by praying, please, if you would join me. Lord and Father, it's so good to be gathered here in your house, amongst your children, amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, for the leadership of Blair and Jeff and all that they do in the church. And as they're traveling, Lord, we, we pray heartily that your hand be on them, that this be a time of rejuvenation, growth, strengthening, but also a time of safety, that you bring them here back home again safely. And Lord, we're so thankful for the church leadership. Lord, we're so thankful that, that men and women step forward and do the work of the church, do your work, and that's why our church is so healthy. We pray that they have uh, strengthening, that they feel your hand in their lives, that the time they give, they are able to give gladly because they can see such fabulous return. And Father, finally, we thank you for the word. Lord, I pray that you speak through me, not what I want, not what I need to say, Lord, but what you want to be said. May your Holy Spirit fill me with with your word, Lord, not mine. May we all hear with heart, Lord. May we hear with our hearts in a powerful way that this message can talk to us and build us and help us throughout this week to come. Amen. So when Jeff came to me and said, Mike, I'd like you to preach on November 6th because we're all gone, I I had lots of reasons not to do it. Um, But then I sat back and I looked at what today was. And I thought, what a wonderful day to be asked to speak. Uh, This Communion Sunday, this beginning of the Remembrance Day week. And it came to me that what I really want to talk about today is what are we remembering? What is it that we remember uh, during communion on a monthly basis? What is it we remember during Remembrance Day? Um, During the Lord's Supper and during this entire week that's coming at us. What do these two remembrances share? And what is our role both as Christians and Canadians in this process of remembering? Today, as we do the first Sunday of every month, we celebrated the communion of Lord's Supper. Let's just take a few minutes right now and review why we practice what I fear has become a ritual, but was a practice given to us more than 2,000 years ago by Christ himself. And let's understand why this practice, this symbolic thing that we did this morning, must become much more than a mere ritual we all go through. At the Last Supper, the night before his trial and crucifixion, Jesus shared a meal with his disciples. 
And then, then he led them in the ancient observance of the Feast of the Passover or of the Unleavened Bread. This story is very well known to us, and uh, I'm just going to see if this works. Okay. We're, there we go. I'm going to take us into Luke 22, 14 through 19. You might want to turn to this in your Bibles or in the Pew Bibles because I'll be referring back to it um, this morning a number of times. Luke 22, 14 to 19. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it amongst you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus was many things, but one of the things he was was a master teacher. And he used this opportunity to plant an important memory in his disciples that were gathered in that upper room on that day. He shared his meal for their benefit, but he also shared it for ours. As Jesus broke the bread in thanksgiving, he added a new significance to this ancient ritual. In verse 19, we read Jesus' commands to his disciples and equally to you and I to observe the Passover, and here's the new part, in remembrance of me, Jesus. Jesus was taking this old symbol, this Passover symbol, this Passover practice, and filling it with new meaning. The meaning of Jesus' words and action is rooted in his command to remember. As today's disciples, we observe the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Christ's sacrifice upon the cross. Different Christian denominations all around the world have slightly different takes and ways of celebrating communion, but they all do so as a time to remember. I'm going to suggest that we are called to remember really from three perspectives. Firstly, this is a very historically significant event. So there's an historical reason to remember. Secondly, it's hugely redemptive. So there's a redemptive reason to remember. And finally, I'm going to suggest it's incredibly personal. Now, at this point, I'm going to take a little bit of a risk. Remembering Christ's sacrifice on the cross is pretty automatic for me as a Christian. Remembering the sacrifice of so many in times of war is also pretty automatic for me, the son of a veteran, and an old social studies teacher who has a pretty keen interest in Canada and Canada's place in the world. I'm going to suggest, with your permission, to develop the significance of remembering during this Remembrance Day week from the same three perspectives that we remember the Lord's Supper. Um, Historical, redemptive, and personal. Let's take a moment and look at the historical significance of the Lord's Supper, communion. As first century Jews, the disciples would certainly have clearly understood the historical significance of Jesus' words in Luke 22. They understood how remembrance and the celebration of the Passover feast was an opportunity to reflect upon God's delivery of the Jewish people from slavery and oppression. 
What they did not fully understand until after the crucifixion and resurrection was the transformation of what had been a Jewish feast of remembrance into a new symbol for remembering Jesus' atoning sacrifice. I just want to repeat that. They didn't understand that the transformation of what had been a Jewish feast of remembrance would become such a powerful new symbol for remembering Jesus' atoning sacrifice. Unlike the participants in this upper room feast 2,000 years ago, we have the privilege of knowing how this story works out. God, who acted in history to deliver his people Israel centuries ago, has also, through intervention as Jesus, acted historically to deliver us, us, you and me, my children, my great-grandchildren, and generations to come. Let's never, ever minimize this by making participation in the Lord's Supper a simple ritual. Let's always remember that the Lord's table is so much more than that. Let's remember it in humble subservience, but also in deep remembrance. You see, what Jesus did those centuries ago impacts my life today and my eternity. This may be the most important historical fact of Christianity. It certainly needs to be remembered. Now, let's fast forward to 2015. Here we go. Come on. I'll get it. There we go. Let's fast forward to the year 1915 to a little village in Belgium called Tincot. In this village, there's a war cemetery containing about 12,000 graves from the Battle of Ypres. Those white rows you see there are 12,000 individual tombstones. This cemetery is not unusual um, as a battle site cemetery. What's unusual about Tin Cot is that 8,000 of the 12,000 graves are of unknown soldiers. Now, you probably can't read this. But what we see here are two, two gravestones. The one on the right has the maple leaf up there. And if you go to any battlefield, you'll see uh, the Canadian soldiers stand out. They have, they have maple leaves. But 8,000 of the headstones in Tin Cot have the little line underneath them, known unto God. They are unknown to men and women. They're known only to God. During the Yeeps Offensive, there were 122,000 casualties, including more than 6,500 Canadians who died in a one-month-long battle. It was during this battle that John McRae penned the famous poem in Flanders Field. The fighting around Tincot was so horrific, it was so awful, that the majority of casualties could never be identified. Only by the remnants and scraps of their uniform were they identified. When you walk through the mazes of graves in the European battlefield cemeteries, you can't help but be overwhelmed by emotion. At least I can't. Has anybody here ever gone through some of the battlefield sites? A few people have. As a Canadian, you need to do that, but that's an aside. For me, I'm always humbled by the ages of the soldiers, usually ranging from 17 to 21 or 22. There were 60,000 Canadians who died in the First World War, the war to end all wars. It touched every community in our small nation. I go further and say it probably touched every single family in Canada. Imagine 60,000 Canadians under the age of 25 
lying in war cemeteries in World War I, often in unknown graves. Let's do some quick math here. 1914, population of Canada, about 7 million. 53% were under 25, so 3.5 million. 50% of those were male, 1.75 million. 18 to 25 was the service age ages. That's about 25% of that 1.7 million, so 400,000. Is my math okay so far? Of which 60,000 died and probably another 100,000 were casualties. 60,000 of 400,000 service-age males died. That's one in seven in the country of Canada. Think of the sacrifice involved, both with these young soldiers, but also with their wives, brothers, sisters, and parents and loved ones left behind. Imagine the horror of a battle like Eeps. The first time that poison gas was used which had lingering effects for the rest of their lives on many of the survivors. And it was called the war to end all wars. Did it? Well, we know the answer to that, don't we? As Canadians, the historical significance made of the sacrifices made by young men in places like Eeps must be remembered. Many historians argue that in the very bones of Canadians in places like Tin Cot, in places like the Vimy Memorial, in places like Passchendaele, lies the DNA that makes our country what it is today. The sacrifice of places like Eeps must be remembered. These sacrifices have made us who we are as a nation. Historical significance? I think so. Redemptive significance? Let's move on. We should remember that the Last Supper's redemptive significance was really, really important. In John 1.29, John the Baptist sees Jesus approaching and cries out, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John clearly establishes the reason for Jesus' coming as the fulfillment of what the Passover Lamb foreshadowed. We recall the story, the Passover story in Exodus 12. The Jews were commanded to sacrifice the Lamb take the blood and brush it on their doorsteps, on their door frames, to protect their families from the wrath of God, which was going to be delivered upon the Egyptians. At the cross, John the Baptist tells us, the Lamb of God, Jesus, will be sacrificed to deliver the whole world from the power and penalty of sin. The Passover Lamb served as a substitute for the firstborn of Israel. Jesus is our substitute. Without the death of the lamb and the spreading of its blood, the children of Israel would have suffered the wrath of God in a horrible way. Without the shedding of the blood of Jesus and his substitutionary death, we would have no hope of salvation. This is the redemptive power, the redemptive significance of the Lord's Supper. This is the foreshadowing that John the Baptist predicted. In his book, um, The Tale of Hardy Oxcart, Chuck Swindoll, relates the story of an eight-year-old Kenyan girl named Monica who fell into a pit and broke her leg. Mama Nairi, an older uh, woman, seeing what had happened, climbed into the pit to rescue Monica. In the pit, however, there was a black mamba, the most poisonous snake of all of Africa. It bit both Monica and Mama Nairi. Both women were rushed to a medical center. Monica improved. But tragically, Mama Nairi died. A nurse missionary explained to Monica that Mama Nairi was bitten first and thus received all of the mamba's poison. 
When the snake bit Monica, it had no poison left. The nurse went on to explain that Jesus had taken the poison of our sin so that we can live. Monica understood this and readily received Christ. Do we understand it? That's what we celebrate. This week we also celebrate Remembrance Day, recalling the considerable sacrifice that millions have paid, not for the redemptive freedom that Jesus offers us for eternity, but so that we can enjoy the gift of the freedoms that we all experience in our everyday lives here in Nelson and BC and in Canada. As Lieutenant John McRae penned in his famous poem written 100 years ago last March, um, we recall that in Flanders fields the poppies blow between the crosses row on row that mark our place and in the sky the larks still bravely singing fly scarce heard amidst the guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe. From you, from failing hands, we throw. The torch be yours to hold on high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders fields. Written amidst the most horrible, horrific battle possible, this is John McRae talking to us. To you, from failing hands, we throw. The torch be yours to hold on high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders' fields. What does the warning not to break faith imply? In the haunting language of Dr. McRae, I believe he is commanding us to remember, to remember, if we do not heed this, the dead will not sleep. And he's saying to us, will it not have all been in vain? Have we not heard this before? Remembrance is something that we cannot afford to forget or ignore. The sacrifice of those who've passed us the torch must be redemptive. Those of us who wear the poppy at this annual time of year uh, do so in remembrance, reflecting upon the sacrifices that have been paid by the men, the women, and sometimes the children that came before us. We do it so that we can enjoy the gift of sacrifice and importantly realize that this gift, like the gift of Jesus' death on the cross, was not given without huge sacrifice, a sacrifice that comes at a cost that is unthinkable. Finally, and and perhaps most importantly, there's a personal significance to remember. We should remember the the Last Supper's personal significance. In Luke 22, 19-20, Jesus' words are, This is my body given for you. Given for you. This is the cup the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus personalizes his statements by using the pronoun you. He tells his disciples that he's going to suffer for them. He was going to die for them. And we know Jesus dies for everybody. We know that. He dies for the sin of the world. But his disciples heard Jesus say, this is for you. I am doing this for you. What do you hear? What do we hear today? When we read Luke 22, at virtually every celebration of the Lord's Supper, or some variation of it, what do you hear? Do you hear a clear and personal invitation from Jesus? An invitation in your name? You should. I pray that you do. Jesus' sacrifice was a very personal promise 
to every single one of us in remembrance of me. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, we each eat a small piece of bread and drink the juice in remembrance of Jesus. We are commanded to remember how the death of Jesus is a tremendous gift to all of us. It's precious, perhaps the most precious and personal gift that any one of us will ever receive. When we're giving a gift of such importance, such great significance, how should we receive it? Certainly with great gratitude, as an expression of great love, most of all, in utmost humility, we have to follow Jesus' command and remember the sacrificial cost of his gift. A few weeks ago, we had a visitor in our church. Her name was uh, Kayla Johnson. She's a covenant-raised missionary to London. Kayla shocked me when she commented that the United Kingdom has gone from being a Christian nation to a non-Christian nation in a single generation. In one generation, the country that birthed such Christian giants as Jonathan Wycliffe, William Tyndale, William Wilberforce, C.S. Lewis, Malcolm Muggeridge, N.T. Wright, of course, Bono. I know he's Irish, but still, that's right part of the world. How can that nation have become non-Christian? How can this be? How can in one generation this happen? I would suggest that many in the UK who are or who were Christians have simply forgotten the sacrificial cost of Jesus' death on the cross. The act of supreme sacrifice is no longer personally prominent as a part of English life. It's been forgotten, and the result is that amongst at least the majority of the population, Christianity has become irrelevant. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it's my prayer that we will do so and that we will always do so in awe of the sacrifice that was paid for each of us. We can't forget. The cost is unthinkable. My dad drove a tank in the Korean conflict as a soldier peacekeeper in the United Nations. Yearly, I look for an excuse to dust off the old green mess jacket that was his 50 years ago, not bad, and wear it out of remembrance for his sacrifices and not insubstantially my mom's sacrifices. You see, in 1952, Sergeant McIndoe went off to war. He left a six-month-old baby, me, at home. He never saw me take my first steps. He never heard me say my first words. And I'm told that when I saw him for the first time when he returned from war, I ran and hid because who was this big, tall stranger that my mom was kissing? I don't know who he was. He left my mother and my two older brothers for over two years. And when he came home, he came home scarred by what today we recognize as PTSD. He went willingly because he believed that in doing so, he was making a better world for his wife and three sons. This was a belief that he never wavered from and that my mother always fully supported. As I prepared for this message, I was horrified to find out that since World War II, there have only been 26 days of peace. We can remember and quickly recall to mind the various war zones around the world. Korea, Vietnam, Afghanistan, Iraq, Libya, the Congo, Somalia, and on and on. Perhaps we now live in a world where the horrors of war are somewhat lessened by how frequently we hear about them and are bombarded by the images, pictures, and sound bites of our ever-shrinking digital world. There was an amazing article a couple of weeks ago in Maclean's magazine about a Canadian by the name of Lieutenant General Romeo Dallaire. General Dallaire was the Canadian commander in charge of the UN peacekeeping mission in Rwanda in 1994. I'm sure many of you remember hearing 
um, the horrors, the reports of the Rwandan genocide. More than one million people were killed in the 100-day genocide, which has since been called the largest mass genocide since the Holocaust. Dallaire tells the story of a patrol made up of Canadian, Dutch, and Ghana soldiers. They came across a fresh mass grave of women. Now understand, in Rwanda, during the genocide, women didn't deserve a bullet. They were murdered with machetes. It's awfully hard to murder somebody with a machete. You don't. You throw them in a pit and they bleed to death. They came across this fresh mass grave of women executed by Hutu tribesmen. Understand, pretty horrific. The patrol leaders stopped and decided amongst themselves what were they going to do before they gave the order. But before they gave that order, the Canadian troops, mostly 19 and 20-year-olds, and this is Dallaire's exact words, laid down their arms and went into the ditch to try and provide what comfort was possible. Knowing that probably half those women were dying of AIDS, they laid down their arms and they went into the ditch to try and provide what comfort was possible. You see, Dallaire explains, when Canadian soldiers are in the field, they are an army that carries our, our moral norms into immoral situations. When Canadian peacekeepers are abroad, they are an army that carries our moral norms into immoral situations. My father fought in Korea for the moral norms of a country whose DNA was forged in the mud of Flanders and Vimy. Between 2002 and 2011, 40,000 Canadians served in Afghanistan. 158 died. I know some of the veterans who served in this war, and every time I talk to one, they sing a common refrain. Freedom, they tell me, is hard fought for and sometimes died for. Freedom is hard fought for and sometimes died for. So here's the main point. We are obliged, we're commanded to remember and appreciate that freedoms have been claimed on our behalf. Freedoms that we so often take for granted. We've been able to come here to worship today, express our opinions and views, move freely, live peacefully, interact with whomever we choose for all of this and for so much more. We should be thankful to a soldier. They fought and died for their freedom and ours, but that freedom was never free. It came at the highest of costs. So where do we fit in? We have to remember. All of us here today are called to remember. The Bible mentions remembrance or remembering in more than 230 times. Every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper or Communion, we are called to remember. God recognizes the importance of this. The Bible also reminds us and instructs us that greater love has no man than to lay down his life for a brother, a friend. What can we do? We need to remember and we need to pray. We need to pray for peace. We need to pray for our peacekeepers and soldiers, and we need to pray for ourselves. In today's world, we need to continually pray for peace. Here, I mean something more than a simple bedtime prayer. Praying for peace means caring about the world and world politics. It means allowing the news, following the news and digging into it. It means asking hard questions to our elected leaders about what role Canada is playing in the world, whether they're concerned about trade or profit or justice or war crimes or refugees. And also, as we pray for peace, we need to pray that God will be at work in world affairs, bringing good out of evil. For as Paul tells us, the world, all of creation, groans for its rescue in Christ. 
The second thing that we have to do is we have to pray for our soldiers and peacekeepers. They, like my own soldier father, are complicated, ordinary, frail, and sinful human beings. They're just like us, except that sometimes they're called upon to do horrible things in immoral situations. So really pray for them. Pray that they get strength and wisdom, um, that they see the need, and that they do the right thing. Pray for those who've been in combat, that they receive healing and even the forgiveness that they need. Pray for their families. Pray for strong marriages and loving spouses. Pray for soldiers who do not know God yet. And pray for our politicians who have responsibilities for all these people. Finally, we need to pray for ourselves. As human beings, we're subject to all the sins that cause war. Vengeance, anger, prejudice, fear of the other, unthinking, shallow patriotism. We know the list. Pray for the courage to reach out to others, for the strength to forgive, and for the courage to do the hard work of love that Christ calls us to. Let's prayerfully thank God that we live in a rich and peaceful place, mostly untouched by war. Let's pray for a spirit of generosity and love to share what we have, the example of Canada with others. In the complicated and dangerous world of the future, let's pray for the courage and wisdom to do the right things, and let's pray that tomorrow and every day thereafter we may always remember and never forget. We all know that the kingdom will not be completed, that we will not see peace until Christ's return in the second coming to finally defeat the forces of evil once and for all. In struggling against the human forces of evil, Canadians who have contributed to the war effort sought to offer a glimmer of light for many for whom the world must have seemed, or must seem today, a very dark and bitter place. We need to remember them, their sacrifice, their struggle, and we need to thank God for their willingness to carry our moral norms into the most immoral situations imaginable. The sacrifice of Christ on the cross and the torch of justice and freedom must be passed on to each generation. Our soldiers went to war, gave up their lives for their friends and families, but Jesus went to war and gave up his life for you and I. He went to war and perished upon the cross for us that we might become children of God. May we hold these sacrifices high and honor them as legacies sacrificially provided to be cherished and remembered, lest we forget. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord and Father, I pray that we who have never known war or suffered the horrors of war must remember. We must continue to say thank you to those who sacrificed and continue to sacrifice for our freedom. We must always remember that the freedom we enjoy today, the very foundations that make our country so enviable in this world, were laid with great sacrifice by the generations which came before. Lord, forgive us when we become complacent and arrogant. Allow us to hold on to an overwhelming sense of gratitude and thanks as we remember. In the same breath, may we always, and especially during this week of remembrance, never lose the sense of awe that you also sacrificed and perished so long ago on that cross, the most terrible death, so that we have eternal freedom through you. Not only freedom, Lord, but the promise given on the cross that even in the darkest and most trying of times, you will not forsake us, but will always be at our sides. And so, as so many have already done, may we live as though our lives are investments in future generations, that one day they too may look back with gratitude and echo the phrase, lest we forget. And the people said, Amen.